mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Manifestation is a meaty word. (laughs) And glory brings to mind the grandeur of God. The grandeur of God. The the sort of thing that you see, you know, in awe-inspiring vistas, in beautiful sunsets, in those transcendent experiences that you get from time to time. Those rare leading once-in-a-lifetime sort of, of moments. Those are the places where you expect to find manifestations of glory. And so when it comes time for the Son of God to manifest His glory, which is another way of, uh, another way of translating this word epiphany, name of the season, this epiphany of our Lord Jesus, the manifestation of his glory, when it comes time for the Son of God to truly reveal himself, to show that he is the incarnate one, the second person of the Trinity, well, you should be looking for some heavenly fireworks at that point, right? This is going to be the manifestation of his glory. It's what we have In today's gospel, so John tells us. And yet, does it look like huge fireworks or awe-inspiring vistas? I mean, first of all, just notice kind of the context of this sign that Jesus performs. It's a wedding, which is a big deal in this culture and especially in that culture. But when it comes down to it, what happens here? You've got a, a family, an ordinary Galilean family, having a celebration, and they run out of wine. Which, I don't want to poo-poo it or act like it's not a big deal, at least at some, to some extent, but in the big picture of things, when you zoom out, like, does it really matter that much? I mean, at the end of the day, it's kind of a trivial mishap, and it's the sort of thing that probably even just a few months later or a few years later, they laugh about. Remember how we ran out of wine at the wedding? It's really not that big of a deal. And then here you have Jesus performing his first sign. His first sign, the manifestation of his glory. What kind of fireworks are we going to see from the Lord? Well, he's going to uh, multiply their wine. He's going to keep the party going. He wants to boost their booze. Okay, This really is what Jesus is going to do? You're coming out, party Lord? The manifestation of your glory is, you know making sure that we still have wine for a wedding? And it's even more bizarre when you consider the stakes of this moment. And what I mean by that is uh, we see how when Jesus performs this sign, when he extends the wine, it's not just some cool kind of parlor trick that your uncle can do or something like that. No, this is in effect sealing his future destiny. It's sealing his destiny right here by him changing the water into wine. Well, how is that? The key is this enigmatic word that he says to his mom. So his mom comes up and says, hey, you know, son, they have no wine, right? As only a mom can do. And Jesus says to her, and I know your ears kind of bristle at this, woman, okay? Understand that this is kind of tantamount to him saying, ma'am, all right? In that culture. Uh, What does this have to do with me? And then he says this, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Does he mean like, hey mom, you can see the schedule, you know, six o'clock dancing, seven o'clock, Jesus changes water into wine, it's still too early? No. 
Especially in John's gospel, when Jesus talks about his hour, it's ever and always alluding to the hour of his death. He'll speak this way again and again and again until finally, later in John's gospel, Jesus gets to this breaking point, this pivotal moment where he prays to the Father. He says, Father, what shall I say? Save me from this hour? No, for this very reason I have come to this hour. So when Jesus says to his mom, what does this have to do with me here? Changing some water into wine, making sure that the party keeps on going. My hour has not yet come. He's trying to say gently, I believe, to his mother, look, mom, if we go there, if I do this sign, there's no turning back. Right? We will be crossing this Rubicon, which leads inevitably to Calvary. Are you ready for that? to open up this exploding can of worms right now, because that's what it'll mean. And you think, is it really worth it? Would it really be worth it for Jesus to seal his fate in that way just for this little mundane miracle? And yet he does it. Throws caution to the wind so that he can multiply the wine and ensure that this Ordinary Galilean family doesn't have to endure the embarrassment and the shame of, of running out of the good stuff during the party. What is this all about? Why would he do it? Well, to think a little bit more about the, the answer to that question, I want to talk about a storyteller, a guy by the name of Matthew Dix. And you probably haven't heard of this name. But Matthew Dix is an all-star when it comes to storytelling. He's like the LeBron James of storytelling. There's this radio show called The Moth Radio Hour. Maybe some of you have heard this, and it's a podcast as well. And as part of this radio show, they have competitions. They call them Grand Slams of storytelling. And this guy, Matthew Dix, has won like four, five Grand Slams over and over again. This guy is the LeBron James, the Michael Jordan, the Tiger Woods of storytelling. And when you start to hear about his life, it makes sense. Like he's had this really story-worthy life. He was homeless for a while. He was uh, unjustly incarcerated. He was falsely identified as being a criminal when he wasn't. And get this, he's been brought back to life from the dead on the emergency room table, not once, but twice. <laughs> I mean, after that first time, I think you're playing it a little more safe. But there it is, twice brought back to life from the dead, these near-death experiences. So a guy who's had a life like that, you think, well, yeah, he's got a, he's got a lot of stories to tell. But I heard this interview with Matthew Dix, and he said something that really blew me away. He said, yeah, I've had all these crazy things happen to me in my life, but those aren't the stories that I love to tell. And actually, those aren't the stories that people love to hear. Instead, he says, he loves telling stories about little things, like a conversation that he, that he had at the table, or a, a moment when a, somebody, a passerby, picked his keys up off the ground for him. These little things, these everyday things that could and do happen to any of us. And the reason, he said, is because it's those stories that connect with people. It's those stories that meet them where they are. That meet them where they are. And why do I tell you this? Because sometimes I think we have this sense that God is far off. And that faith is this thing that is just separated from everyday life. It's like one of those precious moments figurines, you know, 
the kind that you keep in the china cabinet that look nice, but they aren't really involved with your everyday life. You don't bring out the precious moments figurines and play with them unless somebody's going to get in trouble. I think we can think that, that God and that faith in God are like that sometimes. But what if part of our Lord's point in performing this seemingly superfluous sign, this mundane miracle, what if part of his point is to demonstrate to you and me that epiphanies are every day, and that he wants to manifest his glory in the midst of the mundane? What if through this first sign, Jesus is trying to make plain to you and me right from the start that he has come down from heaven above to meet you and me where we are. In fact, historically, the, the church has drawn just this point from the story. So it used to be the case in the, the historic lectionary that this gospel would show up every year. And there was a name for the Sunday on which it was read and, and proclaimed. They called it Home Sunday. And the reason that it was Home Sunday is because it was an opportunity to reflect on how our Lord intersects with our everyday life, how he comes to us in the midst of our marriages, in the midst of our vocations, in the midst of the, the humdrum stuff that the Lord who took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson says, that he has not only invaded the house of God, but he has invaded our homes as well, that that's where he comes to live. And isn't this the pattern of our Lord's ministry from beginning to end? I mean, when we read the Gospels, what do you see Jesus doing? Well, yeah, you have these outrageous miracles, these incredible signs that he does. He's, he's walking on water. He's feeding 5,000. But when and where does he do it? It's in the context of everyday life. As he's walking with people, as he is making conversation and taking, and, uh, taking people on walks and breaking bread and visiting people in their homes, as he is praying and fishing, these are the places where the Lord meets. This is the pattern of his entire life and ministry that is woven into the, the warp and woof of everyday life until finally Christ goes to that most common place of places the one where all of us hope to meet him. He goes to the grave. He goes to death. And meeting us there, he brings us back out from the grave. So that through his death and his resurrection, now our Lord Jesus is redeeming every bit of every day and reclaiming for us all of life to be under his blessing. This is how our Lord is. And if we only see him, if we only wait for him in those big, precious moments, we miss the fact that he is there with us and for us in every little moment. I'll tell you about my own little moment when I recognized and realized this. So as you know, I'm a dad, and especially as a dad who's getting to middle age, I have the aspirations of every dad, which is to be a cool dad. So when we moved here to Michigan, I got a Jeep, right? 
And uh, I had these visions of, okay, I'm going to be the cool dad. I'm going to make these big, meaningful moments with my kids. And we're going to do, like, up north things. And we're going to go out off-roading and doing that sort of cool stuff, right? And so it's a couple of years ago, and it's about this time of year. It's the, the middle of winter, but it's a beautiful winter day. Blue skies like yesterday. It wasn't as cold as it has been. And I think to myself, I think it's a Sunday afternoon. I say, okay, guys, let's get in the Jeep. Let's go do some off-roading. Let's have a cool dad moment, right? I'm going to win this. And so a few of the kids climb in the back of the Jeep, and we get going. And we're, we're cruising around. We're having a great old time. It's awesome. And we go over to these seasonal roads, right? Seasonal roads mean this is where off-roaders go. Uh, over here, it's called Matzinger Road. And we're making our way up the road, and the snow is a foot deep. And we're having a great time. I'm having a great time. I don't know how they were feeling. It's bumping along. They're ready to puke in the back. But this is awesome. I'm a cool dad. We get up a ways, and finally the kids are like, okay, this is this is cool, Dad, but can we turn around and, and head back home? Yeah, okay, it's getting kind of late, and we should get going back for dinner. So I try to do like a sweet turn, and it stops moving. And I'm like, oh, that's weird, but I'll put it in four-wheel drive low, back up, and it's not going anywhere. And I get out, and the, uh, I don't know, Jim, you can tell me the specific, like the tie rod thing breaks off. Wheels aren't turning anymore. I'm stuck. And then I look at my kids and I realize, Chip had told us this, anytime you go out in the winter up north, you always dress like you might break down at any given point. Well, I look in the back and I realize that my kids are basically in their pajamas. <laughs> because I am such a cool, insightful dad. And I'm like, oh gosh, now we're going to have to trudge through the snow. I'm going to have to carry some kids. I'm thinking, this was so dumb. Why did I think I had to be a cool dad, make this big moment, and I'm just kind of reproaching myself right then and thinking how dumb I was for all of this and say, okay, kids, it's time for us to pray. We just need to pray to the Lord. And I'm feeling just devastated by the whole thing. But we start trudging our way back to the road where eventually we would find somebody passing by. Actually, it was kind of funny because at first they just drove by. We waved at them and they waved back and took them. <laughs> they turned around and got us. But there was this moment as we were trudging through the snow and I was feeling like I was not a cool dad but the worst dad in the world. And when Lewis puts his, his hand on me and he just says, I trust you, Daddy. I trust you, Daddy. And it was a holy moment for me, recognizing that God was there in the midst of this trivial mishap, not just in some cool dad moment, but that was the real cool dad moment. And so it is for our Lord that he meets us in the midst of the mundane little stuff every day. Isn't that why he's given us this gift of the Lord's Supper? You talk about a mundane meal, a little wine, a little bread. But here our Lord continues extending the party, the feast that will have no end. And he meets us here so that you and I might see him out there in the midst of road rage and frustrations with kids and wondering how many times have we had pizza this week for dinner? all of those little things to know he's there and we can bring those little things to him and he manifests his glory. 
Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.